Warning, Supernatural The Crossroads contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. to another episode of Supernatural The Crossroads, The Winchesters Edition. I am your host, Thomas Cowley, and the only one joined with me today is Michael Flores. Hello! Because Ryan is sick, dead, missing, we're not quite sure. I think he's made some excuses. I think he's actually sick. He wasn't feeling well. Is he, though? But we mo- That was when we were going to record, so we moved the date, and now I can't remember, so... I didn't even invite him. <laughs> I was like, because I have a feeling that, yeah, he was sick, but I think he also tried to dodge a bullet. I think he's kind of burnt out. You think he's pulling a Neo? Yeah. 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 So I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to invite him to the late discussion either because he probably will show up and. and, Be negative, which is my job. (laughs) He's infringing on my, my thing. Yeah. No, I mean, it's unfortunate, but yeah, Ryan is not here this week. He will be back next week by pain of death. Otherwise, uh, we'll enforce it somehow. But today we are talking about season one, episode six, Art of Dying. And again, we are here with another discussion of the latest episode. We've been going through, we are we are now coming up on halfway through the season. Mm-hmm. And that is a pretty big milestone back in traditional television watching days. Less, yeah. it, it feels less impactful with the streaming world we live in. Unfortunately, yeah. Their mid-season finale hook and, and rising stakes doesn't seem to really be a thing until the second to last I miss episode. That structure, though. I really, really miss I, I that, too. I think it's hurting television. Because it used to give you something to look forward to, and it yeah. made sure that you... It was kind of like a time post. Mm-hmm. You had to make sure you had done at least this much by this time to give this amount of time room to breathe, the, the elements room to breathe and yeah. grow. And now I feel like it's really strong beginning, string us along for the middle part, and the last two episodes is where they really push all of the narrative importance. Yeah. And that really does suck because it used to be something where we could talk about our favorite mid-season finales or premieres and big, big things could be expected to happen. And now it's really not a thing. We need to get back to the old days of structure. You know, a cert- it's the reason why it, there's a reason why it worked for so many decades. It created intrigue. It immersed audiences within the narrative. And uh, now that everything's just on streaming, even the shows that are released, you know, weekly or episodically, mm-hmm. they're still written with the idea that you're going to get them all in a week. So you don't have the the seasonal uh, structure that's included urgency based on even. the seasons when you go to break. And I think it helped build urgency into the story. Yes. It made it feel like yeah. our characters were constantly working towards something and trying to deal with a problem that was ever present. And like in real life, or I should say the best stories, things get worse before they get better. There's there's moments that have a direct impact on our characters that make them change how they do things. I mean, for Christ's sakes, Bobby's death is a mid-season finale. Or premiere. I can't remember exact date, but it, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's there, yeah. there was big events that used to happen, and now I feel like it's it's if you're reeling in a fish, you used to yank. You know, if anyone yeah. who's done that, you yank every now and then. Yeah. To hook the fish, hook the audience is the same metaphor here. We're just casually reeling it in until we violently pull it up at the very last minute. Yeah, it used to be like, <sighs> you know, it used to be more like when you were like new at having sex and you're really oh, excited. And okay. Yeah. Now it's like you're 
is going on your seventh shot of Jack and you've also done a couple Push lines of blow and you can barely get it out. You're just yanking yeah. it really hard to get something, but nothing happens. Nobody's that's, having a good time. That's kind of what's going on now. Until the, so you're almost there at the end, and then this is like jackhammer event. Yes. Right. Yeah. As the drug slowly gets out of your system after jerking for like three or four hours. <laughs> <laughs> three or four hours? You didn't give up by that point? Why? Jesus gotta, Christ. Got to have some integrity. All right. Well, like that metaphor that was our group of metaphors that were tortured and prolonged, uh, this, this episode's narrative so far had a lot of different things going for it attempted a lot of things some of which worked and some of which when i think analyzed deeper created some serious inconsistencies for the overall unified text of supernatural meaning in universe established codes of morality which we'll get into a little bit more later and through these things at surface level they while they seem relatively insignificant or innocent, I guess they're starting to weigh down the narrative with contradictory themes and opposing ideologies that work against the characterized world, the established world of supernatural. And that's going to be probably one of our biggest points of discussion today because it's something that Mike and I talked about off air, like shortly after watching the episode, because it felt very jarring. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the idea can't work, but it's more of how it's been implemented, which seems to be kind of a theme that we're, we've been tackling with this show. Yeah, because at face value, I actually watched this episode twice, as painful as that may seem, Thomas. <laughs> The first time I watched, I wasn't quite sure what to make of the episode because it just felt really, it felt like it was contradicting a lot of things yeah. in Supernatural. And as Thomas said, we will get into those shortly. But then I went back and watched it a second time, two or three days later, and I viewed it less as a subjective viewer and looked at it more from an objective standpoint, which is what I like to do typically anyways, but with the designs to analyze and fully understand what they're doing with the episode. And I found narrative intent, and I believe there is a strategy here that I can definitely co-sign, but with that possibility... You run the risk, a dangerous risk, of undermining years and years of established themes of supernatural that have governed every single season, an episode of Supernatural. So, yes, it could work, but you have to be very careful. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the question is, was how well or, or poorly did that did they stick that landing Yeah, with this? So some of our talking points for today, one of the, which was very at the forefront was John's anger coming to a boiling point within the group, within himself. But what does all of this mean for his development as a character? What are the writer's intentions by showing us this? We can glean a bit by how the writers used in this episode a murderous, vengeful spirit to establish various parallels. But what are those implications? What are they saying? Is Are they aware of everything they might be implying yeah. with that? Or is it, as we've kind of said, more of a surface-level understanding and a greater impact hasn't been realized? Or is that what we're working towards? Second of all, further attention was brought to the foreground pertaining to Mary's own desire to quit hunting, which is, I feel like, every episode. Her desire to quit hunting feels very much like in season one of the original show, trying to find their dad. It's the, the thing that we keep coming back to, keep talking about, keep bringing up. But this week, at least, rather than it just simply being said, it does borrow a little bit, I feel like, from old Supernatural where the events of the episode parallel a character's inner struggle, if nothing else. And so I thought that was a, a nice change, but we'll talk about that more. Uh, 
And the big thing, too, was the idea of pacifism was used not only as a guiding theme here in this episode, but as a plot device that brought resolve and an end to not just the conflict, but the episode. And that, I think, might be one of the longer discussions because, again, it's not that it can't work, but did they implement it the way or does it have the impact from what they were trying to do that they were hoping for or was it surface level and not thought of deeper? So, and that's that's what we like to get into on this show. So with that, let's officially get started. This episode, Art of Dying, Mary gets a call from an old family friend who's looking for some help. But when the team arrives, they learn that some crucial details have been left out. While Latika struggles with being a hunter and questions her future with it, John's eagerness and commitment to the hunt worries Mary. Carlos finds himself in a situation he's never experienced before and doesn't know what to do with himself. That's something else I'll bring up later. Uh, that I had issue with. I didn't know what to do with myself either with that. But this episode, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm going to try. Gary McLeod. Okay, yeah. Directed by Gary McLeod and written by Jessica Cardos. These, I believe, are new names for this. I don't believe either had done a episode no. before. Yeah, I'm going to double check real they quick. They are completely new to Supernatural. Yep, brand new, new first time for the writer and director both on Supernatural, and we'll check here the IMDb here in just a moment to see what other work they've done. But I will say that the structure of this episode was adequate. It did what an episode should do. I didn't have any issues with the surface level beat-to-beat moment what was happening. They established a threat. They had what it means for the characters. They've advanced some of their core character development, beliefs, ideologies, and brought those to light. It brought something up that we've talked about on this show previously that I was actually like mini clapping for. Mm -hmm. I was like, thank God someone's realized it and we're talking about it now. And it ultimately brings about some resolve. Those character developments bring about resolve for the episode. So that's good as well. But in the process creates a cacophony of contradictions and opposing moral views that undermine the established views of the show. What are we really talking about here in particular? Yeah, because it does. It potentially does, unless in that cacophony of contradictions. I like that one, right? It was good. (laughs) If that's what they're doing, is is it intentional? Are they trying to say something? Are they trying to create a complicated worldview? Because normally creating, you know, a world ideology and then challenging it can work as a type of social examination. And I'm on board that. I love when TV shows take the ideals that have been established in a long running show and then they try to flip it upside down to give a differing perspective, either A, to show that there is a better way, or B, perhaps it strengthens the established worldview or world ideology. So flipping upside down can be fun. But this episode, to me, is not just challenging in-universe views on violence and scrutinizing the hunter world at large, but in the process, it comes dangerously close to undermining our legacy characters. Mm -hmm. Now, what exactly are we talking about for people who are like, stop with all the film theory (laughs) real quick? We're talking about Lata's pacifism. And not just that she's a pacifist within the episode, which is something that I've brought up previously and, and her place as a part of the team. But the idea of pacifism in a hunter world, in the real world, and in the established show of Supernatural. It kind of starts with their the narration, which it was kind of shallow still, I felt. It did do the job, I guess, that we've asked of it to be at least somewhat relevant to what's being said during the episode. And it does have some of those thematic elements in it. Hunting has a way of changing a person. After a while, right, wrong, good, evil, they all start to look the same. And then it makes you start to wonder, who's really the monster here, them or me? That is an interesting concept. Because 
Supernatural's already always had that, right? From from the very beginning, Sam and Dean have been at odds. Sam could be the hidden monster. We didn't know what his true path was going to be. His fears and doubts and feeling like he's an outcast because he's got the psychic powers and he's a tool for the devil. Having to put down your own brother. Dean being pushed later in seasons to a darkness with the mark of Cain and what that really means. And that old, I think you said it was Nietzsche phrase of be careful when you hunt monsters lest you become one. It's very much a, a philosophy that we see in real life and in other narrative shows as well. And it, it is a valid one. When you're so hell-bent on revenge or pursuit of your ideology, regardless of others, if you are not careful, you will become just as violent or evil or obsessive as the very groups or people or monsters that you're hunting. And I like that idea. I like that being brought up. They did it a lot with, with OG supernatural. Yes. I mean, it's, it's been an established theme for, for countless years, especially when some of my favorite episodes is when they brought in Gordon Walker's character to mm-hmm. use that as an example of what can happen. In fact, not only did they use it as an example, they used it much like Mac was used with John they used Gordon to show the dangerous path that Dean one could take that Dean was going down. I, I would say Gordon is perhaps the best example that the show had of that, because while the show does have other people like Kane, who yeah. gives Dean a whole speech about who he's going to kill first and how it's going to go down or even Lucifer, who I love, but has very much a, self-serving reason for why he tries to appeal to certain people's viewpoints or uh, present the truth in a way that flatters his own ideology. Mm -hmm. But Gordon Walker is perhaps the most complex, nuanced, and more importantly, realistic portrayal of what a hunter could become, whether or not he's right in his viewpoint, that his experiences have molded and shaped his worldview And all it took was one bad day for Dean to become the same kind of person that Gordon is. He thought they would be great partners. He thought that they had the same belief system. That's the whole point of his episode. And it is compelling to watch and it is great to watch because I think that's one of those things that we don't pay enough attention to that we all have within us a capacity for darkness. And it's by recognizing that inner darkness that we can hope to control it and not let it control us. Yeah. And, and the reason why it works so well is because a, it was just written. So beautiful. It was just well written. The, the Gordon Walker character to this day is one of my favorite characters, not because he's likable because he's not He's kind of likable in the beginning. Yes, he's a cool well, dude. Before he becomes a he murderer. He's a cool dude, you know? and the actor that plays Gordon Amazing. Walker is fucking great. But th- just the way they used him as a writing device to flesh out ideas and to create, you know, foreshadowing. At, I mean, not just for Dean, but also the idea that he's going to put down the monster that Dean mm-hmm. is trying to protect. There's so many things going on. So what we had there was a mature examination yeah. in those episodes that included Gordon Walker here through Lada's pacifism. The writer of the episode gave us a heavy handed, you know, a bunch of heavy handed platitudes that yeah. felt closer to a PSA made for children <laughs> than a serious examination into violence. And it's unfortunate because the the concept of being a pacifist or having a pacifist hunter, one of the things that, that is constantly sp- uh, talked about in any kind of writing circle education curriculum is having one thing that I heard from a teacher of mine, making the impossible possible, where... It sounds like something Peter Pan would say. <laughs> but it but it does it, I, I get it, what you're saying. Yeah. I've heard that. You have too. you have someone who hunts monsters, who brings an end to the life of things that hurt people, 
and is a lives in a violent, dark world, yet they're a pacifist. That can create compelling stories. Mm-hmm. And yet here, I'm not quite certain if that really worked because there is no greater or deeper thought to it. You're right. Sadly, it does kind of come across as one attitude is right. Don't do drugs, kids. All right, go home now. Okay, says, you know, the people who are probably on prescription medication as they even speak to the children that day. But the problem with such an overt and very loud sentiment in an episode like this is that it comes off less as a narrative strategy and more like a protest against violence. I said before that other characters have had moments where the writer is screaming through their character rather than the character being a character who has their own beliefs and ideologies and feels like a real person. Instead, it feels like we're watching the writer spout their opinion at us through the voice of a character. And sadly, that very idea is how this feels coming across in this episode. It seems to be more and more a governing theme of not just the episode, the show. but the show. Yes. And that's why I say, like, yes, on paper, on the whiteboard, let's say, when you're planning out your season, hey, guys, let's throw in some ideas of anti-violence. Right. I'd be like, fuck yeah, dude. I'd be the first writer to say that's fucking cool because it complicates things. Right. It complicates Issues. It creates um, more substance there that you have to work your way through. So it makes that it may- challenges. It, yes. Yes. But this, it seems to be less about story and more about their own political opinion. And that just does not do supernatural just. Now, I'm all about someone's own ideology being in interwoven into yeah. a show all that, shows have that all shows do that you can't get away from it in fact there was a tv show i just watched yesterday directed by uh an indie director i forgot his name now but it was a film led by kirsten stewart not kirsten stewart uh kirsten dunce it's called the cat's the cat's meow and it's a story about charlie chaplin and the death of i think tom no, the point is, I'm getting off topic here. Thomas, quit distracting me. <laughs> the point is, is that is dealing with a time in history where Charlie Chaplin was having an affair with, I think, uh, one of the yeah. actresses, and there was a mystery behind this guy's murder. And the guy who murdered this guy allegedly had said, "There's nothing better than doing making a movie." And the character next to him said, "Why?" He's all because you know I love, I love telling people how to think. <laughs> <laughs> And that yeah. sounds very nefarious and, and, and evil, but that's but the that's truth of the matter. That's what art is in general. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's not the problem we have here. The problem is how it's being done. It feels less like a strategy and more like a very lazy way to convey your own feelings on something. Well, and that's the thing is that all stories from when we were cavemen around a campfire, stories are intended to teach a lesson usually on how to live or a moral principle on how to live. Good stories, I should say, because some stories are just crap. <laughs> but that is the idea either to entertain or impart some sort of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And I think Supernatural has done some really good stuff with some really dark, complex material. Gordon Walker is a great example. And I think having a pacifism route in a setting that feels like it would legitimately present a stronger, better moral case Mm -hmm. because of the conflict of our characters would be better than simply kind of saying it. What the thing I'm thinking of is Dean is somebody who has always used violence because that's what hunters do until he went to hell and became a torturer under the guide of Alistair. And that fucked with him. Cause him to question. It caused him to question a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And somebody, if Lada had had some sort of anti-violence, pacifist moment there, not only would it have carried significantly more weight. Well, they gave us that backstory that was thrown in. mm -hmm. Because if that was going to matter, that should have been built into day one in the first episode. Kripke says this in his own little videos he drops about narrative plants. Never put a fix to a situation in the very episode you're going to use it. 
And that's what happens here. And this is one of those criticisms where I feel like this is just being written week to week and they're not taking advantage of the fact that we are in a different world. This isn't streaming on Netflix, but we're still in a different world in which that's the regular route. And you only have 13 episodes. So go with that. Try that route. Supernatural, even with its own week to week system, didn't do it this egregiously, I'd say. And so instead, the question is, how intentional is this being done? Is this, are the writers purposefully using anti-violence rhetoric to complicate the overall story of Supernatural? Because this does bring up a lot of complications. Is Robbie Thompson attempting to show that with violence comes a myriad of other problems? Is that a discussion point we want to have. But if that's kind of the case, are Sam and Dean nothing more than products of violence? Is, is true pacifism the way presented by Lada a realistic answer? Is Mary's attempt to escape the haunting life a product of Robbie's anti-violence rhetoric? If it is there to begin with, I mean, it, a way to show that once you're on a path of violence, it becomes harder for you to escape. I mean, these are the questions that are now popping up because so far, none of those questions really uh, hurt the story. And I don't want to, I don't cringe at none of those aspects be, but those questions are now being posed. Are they being posed purposely or are they being posed because you have no idea what you're doing and you're creating unnecessary complications. And, and here's where I feel like I would say for me right now, it feels like it's more of the unnecessary complications. Because the concept and solution are brought up within the same episode. Lana talks about should she really be a hunter since she is a pacifist. Something that we brought up, I brought up in specific, specifically, weeks ago. And that she has a litany of other abilities that mm-hmm. would be far more utilized or, or useful. And we do even see a sample of that as she's doing an autopsy on a zombified vampire hand. Right. That would be useful to the team. And it also presents a situation in which we can have her face her own beliefs being questioned when her friend's lives are in danger. And she has to make a decision about is pacifism the right route or does she have to protect those people around her by using violence? And instead, the person who has to make the decision about whether or not pacifism is the right route is the monster. And that feels very, very odd. Yeah. Well, that's those are the problems that surface when you're not quite sure what you're doing. Because as we had said, the the questions we had gone through a few moments ago, those could work. If there is a strategy behind it, but if you are just writing from week to week, and you're not really contemplating what the inclusion of pacifism is going to do to your overall narrative. And then by default, just these questions are being posed based on established canon in universe canon. Then suddenly you're going to have these questions that are going to start weighing down the narrative that will need to be answered. But the problem is if they're not intentional, you're never going to answer them. And they're just going to simply weigh the narrative down. And here's the here's the problem. Sim- does, does any of that make sense? Or am I fucking babbling? Over I, here? I, I I'm trying to simplify it a bit. No, don't. Because <laughs> generally speaking, this episode presents pacifism, that not fighting and nonviolence is the true and righteous path. That while other people don't believe in it, yes, does ultimately serve the greater good that and same- save the day. There is an absolutism to it there's an absolutism to it exactly and that's all well and good but i think that is a surface level opinion said by the writer without a greater thought to what that means for the show because if that is the case then you make sam and dean and mary and john and the last 15 years of bobby kim donna charlie and everyone else we've known and loved morally bankrupt yeah, or be, morally wrong because at the very least. Sam and Dean, whether they be a product of violence or not, were also posited as multi-universe, multi-universal saviors. So Heroes. now if you are going down this route and you're saying that the route is not violence, then what are you saying about the other show? <laughs> it's and it not only is it what is it saying about the other show, but it it 
doesn't have any nuance to it. And and the, I sent you a clip earlier. Yeah, I'll play. Because it. there's you you are dealing with a vengeful spirit that let's take a minute to think about this. This ghost has been allegedly stewing for 10 years in hatred and anger with a vengeful vendetta against the people who wronged it, him, it, whatever at this point, you're a ghost. And so ghosts have gender. It has a murderous vendetta. It wants to kill people. Mm -hmm. Your friends are being thrown around the life choked out of them. Guns are being drawn and it's time to buck up or shut up. And the route that she takes and throws everyone's life on is that uh, uh, talking it down is the solution. And I, I want to call out South Park at this point because <laughs> this is what screamed through my head as we're watching it. All right, here we go. That was your plan to stop them? Yeah, a nice little heartfelt speech. That's fucking stupid. Because... Because what if you're wrong? Ten years <laughs> of anger alone trapped in an insane asylum level is what we're led to believe in this cave. And you're going to risk everyone's life on a nice heartfelt speech. You're assuming you're right. You're assuming that your point of view is the only one that should be listened to. Because you haven't been through the other person's point of view. And that's one of the hardest things for any of us to really do is understand where other people are coming from. It's very easy to get on our soapbox and declare that we are right. But it's very, very challenging to see how someone terrible or someone who has the capacity to, and willingness to do something terrible can live within ourselves that we could see how we could do that ourselves. Because as I was watching the episode, dude, I'll tell you, if I was stuck for 10 years after my friends betrayed me as a ghost, I'd probably want to kill some people, too. Yeah, and also I don't know what idea of pacifism this is because and that was what we talked about. I, I wouldn't consider myself a pacifist by any means, but I'm definitely anti-violence. It doesn't mean I don't understand violence, and I also it also doesn't mean that I don't understand violence does have a place in society. It it does. It may not be a nice sentiment, and people might want to disagree with that. But during the 1960s, the civil rights era, you think there would have been any change? If we didn't have riots no. and violence and clash in order to make change, you need violence. And in fact, Martin Luther King's uh, pacifism was just fine, but it only worked when you combined violent rhetoric. You take those two elements together and they were forces to be reckoned with. It's what changed the social landscape. So violence does have a place to a degree in society when change must happen. There's a difference between wanting to protect, wanting to stop someone from doing something Rolling evil. over and grabbing your ankles is not pacifism. No. That's calling, that's called rolling over. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing, it, it's the understanding that you don't need to start the violence, but having the capacity and willingness to end the violence because if you're just going to continue to do nothing while violence is happening then are you not just as guilty as those perpetuating the violence that's the same ideology so i did nothing and i let it all happen <laughs> so what are we in this modern day society if we do nothing we immediately or if we say nothing that's i've heard that a lot these days if you say nothing then you automatically agree with the opposing side the negative side if you don't speak out against it, that means silently you're for it. Well, if I don't speak out and if I don't act against violence, then that means I support it. If you do nothing, people will be killed and hurt. So sometimes you have to do something to stop something worse from happening. In reality, we have laws that actually go against pacifism. Otherwise, you're an accomplice. Yes. You're complicit. If someone were to be raped two feet away from you and you do nothing because you're a pacifist. You're a monster at that point. You're a piece of shit. So there's a more detailed way to look at pacifism. And that's, and that's the annoying thing or the problem I feel because it's not that pacifism can't be a concept or work or even the answer sometimes, but not 
but but acting like this this like you said grade school level idea of it is the only level in which we have to think critically about it is just not even something that the show used that the original show did it presented a different argument there's a character in strange new worlds that is described as a pacifist uh, which is also written by actually one of uh, the top writers from supernatural oh. he's amazing and he's doing great work over on strange new worlds and there's a character who's a pacifist and he's described as such i will defend its ideals and then he says pacifism does not mean passivity it's the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. That is a better definition of pacifism than what they're trying to push forward with Lada. And it it's really active. You're still an active participant. Yeah. You, you, you have to protect life. That's also a part of pacifism. And it's also the guiding aspect of the philosophical aspects of pacifism is about the protection of all living things in the natural universe. The ghost is not a natural element in the universe. It's an abomination. What are we trying to protect? Because if monsters are a natural part of the universe, are we just going to let them all do their thing too? Well, th that's my point. So now what do we do? Just werewolves <laughs> so should run hunters free. Just wrong. Vampires should run free. The, the whole idea of it. It just seems strange. Now, if this is what they're doing, then yes, it's, it's, it could undermine, as we were saying, 15 years of stories. And if not, if this isn't the intent, well, then we have to question the validity of anything they're doing in these episodes. Because to generate such an, an attitude of anti-violence and it not really meaning anything other than a moment for Lada, then you're creating contradictions that don't matter and just complicated complicating narrative cohesion. And that's why something like this could get ugly really fast because of its own internal conflicting perspectives and ideologies that might be included simply on a whim rather than strategy. And I think that's, and I said earlier, I think that's what it is. I think it's included on a whim. There, there, there's a greater strategy, it feels, being played to the fact that this entire show or this group of hunters or these group of writers are anti-violence than there is for our characters and what they're going through. I think we have, we beheaded and, and killed, John beheaded and killed the very first monster. We captured a demon in a tree. John killed, quote, maybe killed, we're not quite sure when it comes to gods, Mars Nito. But Carlos, Lata, Mary, like... They, That's another thing. Like, when Mary says, I heard what you did to Mars, and... What? So what? Are we not supposed to be killing monsters anymore? I don't understand this. What are we doing here? Are we supposed to lock hunters up in a cage now? Are we supposed? Are we supposed to put them in prison? Were you going to ask Mars Nito to nicely let you go? Was he? What if he killed Carlos? Are you not putting any logical thought? That's the thing. Is there's more logic yeah. and cohesion to the fact that they ran from the Akrita, the thing that I got really pissed off about last week. That they run from things and are passive anti-violence, no guns, no knives, no weapons. Yet, there's no thought, it feels, to how this has a greater conflict between the groups other than apparently everyone's against John now because he beat up a god who had already, I don't know, killed two or three people <laughs> and was threatening them and his own life. Yeah, like I just, I, I just don't get it. It does seem like the overall message is more about John. I will be fair and say it's not necessarily at least how Mary was was presented. It wasn't about right. anti-violence as much as it was about the dangers that John is potentially walking into. That he is taking these steps into uh, a violent world filled and fueled by anger if that's the message then it should have been nuanced and probably separated from the anti-violent rhetoric so that we understand that the real issue here is his anger and not necessarily the violent aspects i want to get into something really quick just to 
add to the potential undermining and how dangerous it is when you do these types of things without a strategy? Because if it's a, if it's strategic, then they could work. But that's the whole, that's why our, that's why we, we're not being wishy-washy today. We are trying to present the different perspectives and what they're trying to do. Because if they are in, in actuality trying to uh, impose some anti-violent pacifism, then fine. That's an interesting strategy and it could work. But you got to be very careful because when writing a prequel or a sequel of any kind, there are these types of potential pitfalls that writers must be aware of. When it comes to trying to rework and pose differing questions that may alter the way we view certain things in a show's predecessor. Most people who write any type of fiction probably should be familiar with a term called additive comprehension. It was a term originally coined by a game designer, Neil Young, and it refers to the way each new text adds and when I say text, I mean, of course, the world building lore. Right. For example, whatever the Winchesters is. is a piece of text. Supernatural is a piece of a text. sequel, what, what, prequel, yeah. whatever you're adding to what existed. So. Neil Young. Refers to the way that each new text adds a piece of information. That's this is his theory. Uh, forcing us to revise our understanding of the fiction as a whole, thereby giving us a better understanding of it. Now, typically, most would assume the obvious would apply to this rule. For example, characters and situations alluded to in the primary text, in this case, Supernatural, basically in universe history, but also equally important are the agreed upon and established themes, morals slash ethics that govern the world without primary or secondary text cohesion you can completely disrupt and destroy the foundation of an entire franchise. Look at Rings of Power. <laughs> yeah. People are pissed at that because it has nothing to do with the I'll original you, I'll one. give you an even bigger example. The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. The Last Jedi as its own. Maybe the famous example. The, the Last Jedi is, as a standalone film, is is adequate. It's fine. It's not horrible, uh, but right. I, I understand what Ryan Johnson, Ryan Johnson was trying to do. But at that same time, he wasn't taking into account additive comprehension. No. Nope. He was undermining the themes of Star Wars, changing things that had already been established and reworking them in a way that didn't really quite mesh. And look what you get. You get a travesty of a trilogy that most Star Wars fans can agree is completely um, incohesive. None of it really fits or works together. They, the, the new trilogy feels like three separate films, each trying to do something completely different. This is what's happening with the Winchesters or could happen with the Winchesters. And ultimately, I could say, who gives a fuck about the Winchesters, right? Well, here's the thing if that I'm... sucks, I can shrug and say, fuck it. But the fact that it is canon mm -hmm. and it works in conjunction with Supernatural, you're now destroying something that is fucking close to my heart. Yeah. That I've spent 17 years of my life, you know, consuming this is where the problems start to arise, start to arise for fans. Well, the other thing too is that depending on how much you, if you wreck it too much, people will stop caring. But also, they find themselves in a weird spot because if they are telling the truth when they say we're going to make it all mesh and fit, don't worry about it, then none of what they're doing right now matters. If the pacifism route is the route you want to go, but yeah. it doesn't matter because you retcon it to where John's the angry person that we kind of know him to be in the supernatural show because of the situation he finds himself in, which I'll remind people only happens after Mary's death, then none of it matters now. So why would I care about this as I'm watching it now? If you're going to just tell me down the road, you're going to etch a sketch retcon to connect these two universes because it doesn't feel like you're putting in the effort to tie things in a way that naturally progresses to where we're going to end up. It just feels like because it was too difficult to try, you're going to come up with something else anyway. So you and feel I like this idea of reworking canon and saying, Hey, we'll explain why things are different. You think that's less of a strategy when it comes to creating this awesome M night, Shyamalana bang bang mm -hmm. twist as opposed to hey you know what it's really fucking hard to write a prequel to a 15 season series so we're our strategy is to make it easier for ourselves by just forgetting it pretty much 
Dude, that'd be depressing if, if you, that's if, really the strategy. If you are just going to come up with whatever the fuck you want to force the issue to stick together, that two things, a peanut butter and mud sandwich rather than a peanut butter and jelly and just say, well, I took the two halves, now just fucking eat it. Peanut butter does make everything taste better. It does. It does. <laughs> and Supernatural is the peanut butter, okay? <laughs> but if, if the other half of it doesn't work, but you're just going to stick it together anyway, it's not going to make a good tasting situation. Yeah. Whether, but if you take the time to figure out how do we line all these parts up, the prequels biggest thing that I hear gripes about prequels is that it already, I already know what's going to happen. So why do I care? I hear that all the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't dragon, typically feel that rings way. Of power. I never felt that way, but I think the most important thing is you have to know how our characters end up where we know them mm-hmm. for it to be interesting. For example, what really sold the prequel star Wars is what the fuck happened to Darth Vader slash Anakin Skywalker and watching his downfall. We knew he would become Darth Vader, but watching the progression and the series of events is what is the interesting element about that. Yeah. And in this, it doesn't feel like they've put, because it was too difficult to find a way to work in a story that led up perfectly to where you could finish the last episode of the Winchesters and then start the first episode of Supernatural and it's seamless. That was too challenging. So instead, they're just going to come up with some new stuff and say, eh, we're going to come up with a staple gun way to fucking put this together and you'll be okay with it. That's, that's disappointing. And that's what I fear is going to happen. So, man, we've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> yeah, let's let's stop here and we'll get into some other um, forms of analysis during our second show for Patreon. Because there's plenty more. Yeah, we can get into I want to get into some more plot points as well as and then dissect those plot mm-hmm. points. Um, so we'll do that during the Patreon show and we'll connect them to our overall discussion that we did here. Let's go ahead and do our RMD score. What's let's go with you first. Cause I need a minute to collect my thoughts. What, what do you feel this episode? How do you feel about it? Where does it stand in line with the other ones? For it's you? very difficult because a lot of my thoughts on what they're doing relies on the end, the end game. Mm-hmm. Where That's is a it, challenge. Where is it going? Are they doing these things intentionally? Cause if they are doing some of these things intentionally, as I had mentioned about the posing of these questions or the questions that are popping up because of what they're doing, then I'm on board. But if they're simply doing it, as you had said, for a one-off reason to just give Lada a purpose and to justify her existence. I, I in literally show, think they only think week to week right now. If that's what they're doing, which I probably am going to agree with you on that because there are other signs here. that we didn't get into that would probably support that theory. Yeah. It would support that idea. So I got to say this episode, the 65%. Okay. And uh, before prior to my rewatch, it was 60. But after I went back and started to really do a deep analysis of everything that is going on, it did increase a bit. I'm trying to be fair here. Uh, I I don't know. I'm conflicted because isn't the biggest problem besides some of the let's say let's say there is in a strategy here, which okay, okay, fine. But also the immaturity yeah of the storytelling is embarrassing. Supernatural was so adult famed, even in some of the most silliest of episodes. Changing channels is hilariously silly. The mystery spot is silly, but it ends super fucking dark and very adult. But those are fun episodes for the most part. Yeah. And, and this just feels, unfortunately, a little childish, I got to say. I, weirdly enough, I don't, I, I don't hate this episode like I did the last one. Mm-hmm. But it's probably a little bit more forgettable. What I do like going for it was some of was the older hunter who feels like the first realistic looking person I've seen in this entire fucking show. She's the only one that looks like a real person. She's the only one that looks like a real human being and not an airbrushed actor. Uh, so I do like that. But I, I, I don't know. I'm going to give this one a 68, 68 percent where I feel like it was just the first draft again. I feel like it's just. 
not a lot of thought goes into it beyond the surface level of events. And because it hits an ascribed ideology that's approved and accepted right now, there was no more complex nuance needed or believed to be needed. And from a lore standpoint, it's, it's, it's terrible, but at least it didn't make me as angry. I have some things we'll get into during our, maybe, our second maybe hour for Patreon. Maybe I'll redact this in because next week. Because there, there is some canon stuff that's really That's still, really wrong. And also there's aspects where they, they could have solved the ghost problem because the idea... <laughs> yeah, hold on. Like, I have to say this for the regular show. Hold on. So... To justify Lada's point... Uh-huh. Her purpose in the show. Yes. They create this whole pacifism avenue mm-hmm. that's going to end. They pose the question, is she a liability? And then they end it with, no, you're not. Kumbaya. You're let's so all clap. You what have I said, dude? You may not be a hunter like us, but you do have a purpose. Now, okay, fine. So in order to do that, they ignore the very realities of the world of supernatural and the tools they use to dispatch ghosts. You don't yeah. need to use a gun with bullets. There's something called rock salt. I think that might've existed in the 1970s and it's very well established in the world of supernatural. How did you not just shoot the motherfucker? Dude, no, no, no. I, we're going to have, we're going to have Lada because they used her as that buffer because Trisha, I believe is what her name was. The, the female hunter, yeah. She was going to pull the trigger, which I think we could all agree that was probably real ammo. I think that was the danger. No, don't. It's John. We need to have a chance. We need to, we need to take an opportunity here to save John's life. Okay, fine. Because they're creating scenarios so that they can use Lotto when there's already established elements that would have solved the problem without yeah. killing John. But, but iron, they hate. Salt, they hate. The ectoplasm doesn't work at all like it should in the show. They've never had the shimmering eyes. You know, god damn it. Yeah, it's a little <sighs> strange. So yeah. yeah. All right, let's go ahead and end it. So we'll be we'll be back next week with episode seven, which will be the halfway point between this season. And I really I keep saying it, dude. I hope it can turn things around. I hope it can catch my interest a little bit more, but I grow more and more concerned each week that these scores hover in the it's a show range. Yeah. So thank you all for listening. If you want to hear the rest of the discussion, which is going to probably be a little heated, head on over to patreon.com slash digital, where you can get access to this and much, much more. Thank you all for listening. And we'll see you next time. You little maggot. You are no longer a part of this story. Hey, ass butt.